All right, let's see if I'm on. One, two, one, two. We're going to get a quick pick. We got a quick pick. Make sure everyone's master on. Good stuff. Thank you, Daniel. Hey, I tell you what, what just took place, uh, probably one of the top 20 things in my life right there. Cole said, sing like never before. Worship your holy name. That was awesome. That was awesome. Well, as has already been expressed by Rich and the guys, we are so pumped to get back together again uh, to see your face in this place. The last 10 weeks, I've been just staring at dudes' faces. I've been staring at Daniels and Rich and Chad's and Tyler Dell's and Ryan's and Josh and even and Jacob. And Jacob's got a great uh, mustache going now. Where, oh, Jacob's up there. Yeah, he's got the great mustache. He wins the mustache award from the crossing during this time. Um, but it's been great. It's great to see your guys' faces. Um, and again, as I said in the, in the video earlier, uh, I sent out this week, just congratulations. We made it through, right? We made it through. And we also want to say hello to our family that is listening online. We know there are several reasons why people are still kind of you know, uh, waiting to come back to church, and, and we want to honor that, and we understand that, that that's their conscience, and we, and we love them still the same. And in God's providence, when you guys are ready to come back, we will be here, uh, ready to embrace you with open arms. And so again, thank you. Um, I don't know about you, but I've, I'm uh, excited. Right now, I'm wearing this thing. It looks like an ascot for you sophisticated dudes in there, right? Us hunters, we call this a neck gator. That's what this is. It's a neck gator. So uh, it, 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 it felt weird singing in it, but yet it felt awesome all the same. So um, I don't know about you, but have you, have you guys been noticed since this new variants have been coming out that, that more people have been out and about the streets, the roads are a little bit crowded with more cars. I'm not getting as upset with traffic jams or people, you know, not are making bad turns or driving slow. I'm rejoicing because they're on. One of the things uh, on the road, one of the things that I wanted to do this week is I wanted to go get a Sonic double cheese burger with tater tots and cheese. I mean, I was pumped. I was like, man, I'm going to go to Sonic and get me this burger. I was just craving it. So I went to the one up here on Elizabeth at 2 p.m., mind you, at 2 p.m., because I was like, wait till the lunch hour rush. So 2 p.m. I went out there, couldn't find a spot. It was packed. I'm like, what's going on? 2 p.m., this should be at least one opening. So I drove all the way down to the one on Horsetooth, and guess what? It was packed, couldn't find a spot. So I vacuumed my car because there's a little little thing, car wash right there. Vacuumed my truck out and then finally went back to got a, and got a, a Sonic double cheeseburger with tater tots and cheese. Um, and yeah, more people are, are, are starting to, to get out and it's exciting to get back to, to normal. Um, so with that, um, a couple quick announcements. One, um, people are still living life. And we had uh, another uh, marriage that happened. Brandon and Madison, where are you guys at right here? Yep. Go ahead and stand up. Yep. 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 And I told them, I told them they're legal. They can kiss each other because they're of the same household now, right? So, yeah, give them a kiss. Go ahead. All righty. Yeah. All right, put it back on, put it back on. 
All right. Awesome. And then also, um, uh, communion. We're going to do communion. You guys should have got your cups. Um, it, it, it takes a rocket scientist to open this thing up. So you guys might want to do this right now. It's a dual tab, all right? Dual tab. You got to pull the first piece off to get the bread and then the second piece off to get the juice. Just You guys might want to work that out right now. I already did mine uh, just in case, all right? We were just going to stand up here and I was just going to throw them to you guys, right? But that wouldn't probably be a good. I'd probably blow up my rotator cuff. So anyways, and then with this, kids. We got kids in the house. How many kids we got in the house? Let's hear the kiddos. Kiddos. Yeah. All right, kiddos. All right. All right. There's going to be a part in the sermon where there's, I want you guys to participate. We're going to talk about the devil and Satan today. Okay. He's a bad man, right? And he's known as a lion. We're going to talk to him as a, like he's a lion. So when you hear me, I'm going to tell you, when you hear the word devil or Satan, I need to hear your best roar. Okay. Can we try that real quick? Kiddos, can we try that? All right. When I say, the devil, you what? Roar. All right. All right. All right. With that, we are going to be in First Peter chapter 5. We're going to finish up First Peter today. So take out your Bibles and please stand one more time as I read God's Word. First Peter, we're going to start in chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 5 and read to the end of the chapter. And actually, it's going to be 5b. Start with, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil... Yes, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, another word for Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends your greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. We'll apply that later. Um, but peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, this is God's word for God's people. Lord, it guides and directs us. And Lord, as we have looked back and has been prayed for, has been acknowledged by Cole leading us so eloquently. Lord, we live in a Genesis 3 world where we see the effects of sin. We see the effects of the devil. We see the effects of those in their own flesh. Lord, we need First Peter's words this morning for all of us. And so, Lord, may you, the God of all grace, grant us that mercy this morning, not only here in the crossing, but all over the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys, go ahead and have a seat. All right. Remember, kids, when you hear the word devil. Right. All right. Good. 
Uh, I want to start out with a quiz now that we're back together again. It's always good to start out with a quiz, see if you guys have been paying attention. No, but 1997, I want you guys to go back to 1997. Movie time, all right? Movie, the most popular movie of 1997. It involved a boat, a ship. Just letting you guys know, all right? And I want you to know the quote. See if you recognize the quote. Even God himself cannot sink this ship. What's that from? Titanic, right, right. Now, we don't know if this was actually a historically uh, a historical statement, if this was actually said, but it made it into the movie, so we're going to act like it was a historical statement. Even God himself cannot sink this ship. And what it was pointing out, it's pointing out the, the pride of man, the pride of man. Pride is the oldest sin in the Bible. Pride was the first sin. It's the thing that caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven. And since then, it has showed no signs of slowing down. Pride is still the most dominant sin in all of our lives. Again, it was the, it was the sin that, that cast the, the devil yeah, out of heaven. And it was the pride that cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. And it's, the pri- and it's pride that still ruins everything we touch today. So you can make the argument that if pride is your greatest enemy then the opposite or its contrast is true, then humility, humility is your greatest friend and my greatest friend. And this is what we've been seeing throughout uh, the book of First Peter. As Pastor Pete has been leading us since January, and today we, we end it. We've been learning what it looks like to live as an exile alien, as a sojourner in Christ. And this morning, Peter turns our attention to focus on humility. He ends the book of 1 Peter with all of his wisdom on humility. Humility is the motive to help us fight against our own pride. It help us stand firm in our faith as we war against the schemes of our arch enemy, the devil. All right, we're working. Good. So let's look at our first point. First, the heart of humility, the heart of humility. We see this in 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 5b through 7. And we're going to spend the majority of our time on this point, and then we'll rip through points 2, 3, and 4 quickly. But first, I want you to look at verse 12 of chapter 5. Look at verse 12 of chapter 5. Peter says that I have written briefly to you, exhorting or commanding and declaring that this is the true grace of God, and he commands us to what? Stand firm in it. And I was thinking, like, how do we summarize the book of First Peter? Is there a couple words or a sentence that could summarize the book of First Peter? We could look at it as suffering. That's been a major component here. Um, we could, we could just talk about how to live as exiles. That could be the main point. I want to point out, though, I think what Peter thinks is the main point of what he's trying to get across is how we live in the gospel, how we live in the gospel. He starts off by, by, by telling us what is true of us in Christ because of Christ's love and mercy. By the mercies of God, we have been what? Born again by the precious blood of Christ. And now that we've been born again by Christ's life, death, and resurrection, by his precious blood, we are now built upon the cornerstone of Christ Jesus. And since we are now built upon the cornerstone of Christ Jesus, we can now live a life and pursue holiness. We can now serve one another um, as uh, using the gifts that God has given us. We can submit to one another. And when persecution comes against us, we can suffer well. All the while waiting for the joy of our inheritance that is guarded by Jesus Christ. That is what Peter wants to get us across. That is what he wants you and I to stand firm in. Stand firm in the gospel. Be immovable in the gospel. 
and all of its glories and all of its benefits. And one of the greatest glories and benefits that we get from the gospel is humility. Is humility. Look at verse 5 again of chapter 5. Also, uh, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then verse 6. Humble yourself. That's the command. That's the exhortation. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. We're familiar with the idea of being humble. You've, you've been around the cross, and we've talked about humility a lot as we go through books of the Bible. It is a staple characteristic of a born-again believer. But humility means to bring low. Uh, it means to be ranked below others. Uh, I love Tim Keller's definition of humility. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or less of myself. It is what? Thinking of myself less. Thinking of myself less. One of my favorite personal favorites is the definition I get from C.J. Mahaney from his book, Humility. He says, humility is this, honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. And of course, they're all gleaning from Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, where Jesus says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but with humility, what? You guys know this. Count others more significant than yourselves. This is what humility is. This is what Peter is telling us to stand firm in, to clothe ourselves with. And he says, um, he, he, Again, this is, this is a, a, humility is throughout the scriptures. And as we step back and look out through the Bible, like a biblical theology of humility, it comes from Genesis all the way through the Revelation. First, we see that humility gets God's gaze. It gets God's gaze. One of my favorite scriptures is Isaiah 66, where God says, this is the one I will look upon. This is the one who gets the gaze of God. The one who is humble, Isaiah says. And then Peter says here, now he does, we um, humility get God's gaze, but it's, Peter says humility gets God's grace. He gets his salvation. Look at verse six. Uh, humble yourself so at the proper time he may exalt you. He may save you. And that's ultimately looking forward to bring together the culmination of salvation. So Peter gets humility and he wants us to get humility. And then he gives us a beautiful picture of humility, a great metaphor of humility. He says, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves with humility. All of you. All of us are to clothe ourselves in humility. Now we're in church. Um, in my generation, um, and you guys are probably familiar with this term, we've always, mom and dad say, all right, make sure Aaron and Marcus, you guys wear your Sunday best, right? What does that mean to wear your Sunday best? What does that mean? It means dress up, right? It means, hey, rock the, clo- the best clothes you have because you're going, you want to be presentable. Dress up. Well, what does Peter say is your Sunday best? What does he tell us to clothe ourselves with this morning? He's not so much concerned about our outward appearance. Oh, it's glad he, we, we, you know, we wear clothes and we want to get dressed up. That's great. We want to honor that. But he said there's something that's even more important to wear your Sunday best. He says your Sunday best happens to be when you clothe yourselves with what? Humility. When you clothe yourselves with humility. So Peter, your Sunday best is not so much about an outward appearance, but it's an inclination of our hearts putting on, dressing up in humility. You want to look good? You want to look presentable here at church when you go to work, wherever you go? Put on humility. Clothe yourselves with humility. So every morning, we have an, we have an excellent opportunity to, to, to apply this principle tomorrow morning. When we wake up and, and we get out, we brush our teeth, we do all that stuff, we go to our closet. 
let, as we're looking at, hey, what am I going to wear today? What, 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 I, what do I know to be presentable today? Let us be reminded of Peter's words. The most important things we can be most presentable in is clothed in humility. And then that, let, that, that, let that guide you for the rest of your day. Clothe yourselves, all of you, in humility every single day. Now, why is this important? Why do you not, why do you and I want to obey this command? Well, one, we want to obey this command because it's God's word and we're being commanded to obey. So that's number one. But also look at the, the, um, verse, uh, six again. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is why we want to really obey is because God op- opposes the proud. God opposes the arrogant. This is probably the most scariest verse in all the Bible is that God, it will actively oppose you in your arrogance and in our pride. And here, Peter is quoting Proverbs 3, verse 34. And he's always reaching back into the wisdom book to pull out this principle. God opposes the proud. Scariest verse in all the Bible. But then it's contrasted right next to what the most gracious or the most comforting verse in the Bible, which is what? But he gives grace to the humble. This is why we want to obey. Wisdom dictates to us to obey this command because a prideful, arrogant heart that we all battle and struggle with will invoke God's active opposition against you and me. That's what Peter is saying, and we don't want that. So therefore, it would be wise for us to obey this command, would it not? I love how one put it out. The reason why it's uh, wise, because nothing could be worse. Listen, nothing could be worse for you or for me than being opposed by God himself. There's nothing worse. Nothing could be worse than God opposing us. So we don't want to be, therefore, we are humbled. And of course, the gospel allows us to be humble. So what does, what does humility look like? Well, I already talked about clothing ourselves, but Peter gives us even a, a deeper little definition. One way is that we cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I love what C.J. Mahaney, how he says it. He says, this is the secret sauce of humility right here. This right here is the secret sauce. This is like the Chick-fil-A sauce of humility right here, right? Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And what timely words for us this morning as we are all walking through COVID-19? Let me ask you a question. Let's be honest in here. You don't have to raise your hands, but just, just answer this. Is anyone at any time now or in the past three months struggled with anxiety, struggled with worry. I just read an article this past week. The Census Bureau surveyed 47,000 people um, a couple weeks ago. And one third of them, one third of them talked about consistently struggling with depression, anxiety, and worry, and many times both together because of the pandemic-induced lockdowns and the heavy restrictions. So one-third of these 47,000 people. So there's a pretty good indicator as we look around that all of us have struggled with anxiety and worry. And Peter says what to do with that. He says we are to walk in humility because and humility doesn't carry our anxieties, worries by ourselves. He says humility causes us to cast them on where? The Lord. Casting is this deliberate act of to fling or to hurl something away from us. At first I thought, oh, it might be fishing, right? Like we're casting a line. Except that's probably what a lot of us do, but that's not what he's talking about because as you know, when you cast a fly rod, the fly is still attached to the line and you kind of just pull it right back. 
This idea to fling or to hurl is like to, to throw a baseball or to throw a discus. You want to hurl it as far away from you as possible so it won't come back. It's a deliberate act of our will to fling or hurl. And again, notice where we are. It doesn't say cast your anxieties on your spouse. It doesn't say cast your anxieties on your siblings or on your friends or on your coworkers. No, you, we, we come together and we talk about our worries, our struggles, and we give counsel to one another. But where do we cast our anxieties? We cast them in one place and one place only, and that is on the Lord. And that is on the Lord. King David said it like this in Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burdens on the Lord and He will sustain you. And He gives a promise here. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That's why we cast them on the Lord. Because He and He alone is the only one that can deal with your anxieties and worries and and, and take them away from you. As much as my wife and might struggle or worry at some points and, and she can come and talk to me or I can come and talk to her, I can't relieve the anxiety in her heart. Only the Lord can. And that's why we want to cast our anxieties on Him. Jesus said, do not be anxious about your life. And all Peter's doing here is being, again, the master pastor, the master counselor, because he understands that the only one that can deal with your worry and my worry is the Lord Himself. And He has dealt with it through the Son, Jesus Christ. And again, remember the context that these people are in. They're being persecuted. They are, they are being persecuted for their faith and they're walking through a very difficult time. And Peter then just knows that he's going. He's, again, he's in tune with his people. He said, I know you're going through a tough, troubled time. I know persecution is coming against you and it's causing some anxiety and worry in your life. Cast them on the Lord because he cares for you. You see, he knows that this is the natural tendency of all of our hearts in here. When we get confronted with persecution or suffering, all of us tend to invoke our pride. All of us tend to, to say like, oh, I can handle this on my own. Pride sneaks up when we walk through a Christian trial. And what we tends to do when pride thinks up and we say we can take care of this, one, it takes us away and making us dependent on the Lord, which is number one. But two, it produces something in us. It makes the problem about me. Worry and anxiety makes the problem about me and you. That's what worry does. One Christian counselor, Ed Welsh, said this, worry puts the focus on me. That's what anxiety and worry does. It, it, it suffocates us. So everything we look at is all about me and nothing outside of that. And so Peter knows this. Uh, again, let me ask you another diagnostic question. If you've ever said this, don't have to raise your hand, but in your heart, when you've gone through a trial, when you're going through suffering, have you ever at one point say, hey, God doesn't care about me? Because if God really cared about me, he wouldn't allow this thing to happen to me. Anyone in here? I'll just raise my hand for everybody in here that's probably said that. We've all done that. And you just see, that's, that's, that's pride welling up in our hearts. To say that God doesn't care for you? Because what does that do? Again, it's putting the focus on ourselves and then questioning the Lord's promise. Questioning the statement that what Peter's saying right here, that we are to cast our anxieties and worries on him. Why? Because he cares for you. So, Peter knows this. He knows this temptation for pride to seep up and for us to go into the tank when we struggle. Therefore, he gently wants us. He wants them who he's writing to, and he wants us this morning to know that no matter what you and I are going through, that we don't need to be worried. And that if we do find ourselves worrying, that we cast our anxieties on him because God cares for you. 
And I want you to look at that little phrase, served by his mighty hands. You want to circle that phrase, served by his mighty hands. Because this is just, again, a promise that God will get us through this trial that we're in or the persecution that you face. You see, the hand of God throughout the Bible deals with guidance and salvation, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. You think about that, 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 that poem, Footprints, right? That's, that's a great little footprints to what is being talked about here. You guys know the footprints where, where God is up with a saint in heaven. And he's looking back on his life and, they, and he sees his life on the beach. And, he, and when times are going good in the, in the, in the Christian's life, he sees, he sees two sets of footprints, his and the Lord's walking side by side. And then when he sees it, hey, but Lord, but when times really start to get bad, when, when I start to struggle, all of a sudden I just see one set of footprints. And, and he says, well, where were you? And the Lord says, oh, that's, that's when I was carrying you. That's when you were in my mighty hands. And so if you ever think when, when you get this worry and anxiety uh, during times of suffering in your life, if the Lord doesn't care, the, reminded that you're being served by his mighty hands. Listen, this is how one guy put it. The same hands that, that and we'll, in Exodus three nineteen, the same hands that redeemed Israel out of the the struggle and the, and the persecution of Pharaoh and Egypt. And by the way, we're going through Exodus in the fall, which I'm super pumped. The same hands that, that, that guided and rescued Israel out of the persecution and the bondage of Egypt and Pharaoh is, listen, the same hand that did not spare his own son for you. It's the same hand. It's the same hand. The same hand that leads, guides, and directs us is the same hand that God did not spare his own son for you, but delivered him up for us all so that we might know ultimately that God cares for you and for me. And he will get us through our most difficult season. This is how you know God cares for you because you are in and served by his mighty hands. It's a great picture. So all of us in here again struggle with anxiety and worry. And so again, what, what, is, what are you struggling with right now? What anxiety, what, what worry are you struggling with for yourself today? Or, or maybe for your children? Maybe is it for your job? Is it your health? Are you worried about getting someone else sick? We all are dealing with anxieties. So every day, you and I have a choice to make. And that choice is, are we going to put on humility? Are we going to clothe ourselves with humility and cast all of our cares and anxieties on the Lord? Or... Are we going to try in our pride to work things out on ourselves? Peter says humility is the way to go. And casting them on the Lord is what he commands us to do. So first, that's the, that's the heart of humility, that we are clothe ourselves with humility. Second, we see, all right, kids, you guys focus, kids. The attack of the devil. Yes, the attack of the devil, right? Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, your enemy, the devil. Yeah, prowls around. Hey, I need, I need a little more activity over here. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Here we go. <laughs> the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, literally to, to be eaten or to swallow. Now, this is the third time that Paul, uh, Peter has commanded us to be sober minded, right? That means to be a clear thinker, to have lucid thoughts, understand what's going on around you. And then he adds, be watchful. So be situationally aware of, of what's happening in your life, in the society around you, and then make wise decisions on the gather and the knowledge that you have been receiving. 
because there is an adversary, the devil. All right, all right, all right. We, hey, we got him halfway through the sermon. We lost him now. All right. Um, that he, wants to, he wants to take you out and he wants to devour you. Listen, when, when you and I have repented and trusted in Christ, we are then immediately uh, thrown into a battle, a spiritual warfare. And there's a supernatural enemy known as the devil. Yes, thank you. Who wants to, again, steal, kill, and destroy you. Now, he's known throughout a number of names in Scripture. Devil, which means slanderer. Satan, Lucifer, the destroyer. And a ton of other names. And again, um, he is alive and well. If you just look back on this past week, I think you can see his workings. So Peter commands us to walk in humility by being sober-minded and alert. Understand that there is an enemy like a lion looking to devour someone. I just want you to ask a question this week, or maybe even this morning. Did you wake up this morning as a Christian and thought, man, there's an enemy out there that wants to eat me today? Anyone? No, this is something that we probably don't think about a lot. Probably because sometimes believing in a literal devil can be hard for most people. Uh, in particular, even for Christians. We know that those that aren't Christians, most of them just dismiss them as some mythical creature, etc. But even inside the church, I, I read a, 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 about a Barner uh, survey this week when one of the questions is, is the devil just a symbol of evil or a literal person? And born-again Christians said this. 35% said definitely. He's just a symbol of evil, not a literal literal being, just a symbol of evil. 35% said absolutely. 11% said somewhat. 5% said don't know. So that's 51% of born-again Christians that don't believe in a real literal devil. That's mind-boggling. But he is real, mind you. He has been around from the beginning when he tempted Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. And we see him all the way to the end in Revelation 20. And he has one goal in mind. That one goal is found out in John chapter 10, where it says that the devil wants to come and what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And as we said, we just have to look at this past week where we see all those things happening. And I'm not going to get too deep into the, in the weeds about what that might look like in your life, but let me just give you two categories to think of attacks of the devil in your life at a, at a global level as well as an individual level. First, we see the devil attacks us in our institutions, at an institutional level, the systems of the world. When we think of governments, when we think of schools, when we think of universities, when we think of the media, when we think of news, we think of Hollywood, we think of Wall Street. Now, what I'm not saying is those are the devil's playgrounds and everything that those things produce is of the devil. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he uses those institutions as a part to get out his chaos. And then you have it at an individual level. Just as Jesus was tempted, just as Adam and Eve was tempted, the devil tempts us at an individual level as well. Did God really say? Maybe he tempted you this week in something like that, where you had a, a, a command where you know that you were called to obey and you hear somebody like, Ah, did God really say? It won't be that bad if you go about doing that. That's more than just your flesh talking. That could be the supernatural enemy, the devil coming in. So Peter says, be sober-minded and be watchful because you and I are in a spiritual battle. 
Again, this has been talked about three times already in Peter when we first talked about it in 1 Peter chapter 13, I believe. <clears throat> uh, 1 verse 13, uh, we talked about um, the, the movie Ghost in the Darkness with the two male liars because here the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Um, again, when these two lions were terrorizing the workers uh, that were building a uh, railroad and just absolutely annihilating some of them. But I want to put in our context today. Say you guys are going out, your family is going to the, to the zoo in Denver, the family zoo in Denver. But who's been to the zoo in Denver here? It's an awesome zoo. If you haven't been to go, you gotta go to the zoo. It's an awesome zoo, right? So you're there, you're walking through it, and then all of a sudden you hear over the intercoms, you're looking at the, the monkeys, and you're like, oh man, look at the monkeys. You're going, ooh, ooh, ah, right? You're interacting with the monkeys, and then all of a sudden you hear over the intercom, um, hey guys, just a heads up, um, the lions have escaped their habitat. And they're just loose in the zoo, right? Uh, and, and by the way, they haven't eaten yet today, right? What, what is your mindset going to be? Sober-minded. You're going to be alert, right? You're going to be acutely aware of your surroundings and how you can take yourself and, the, and maybe your kids and how you can grab them and get out of the, the zoo as quickly as possible because you understand that there's a lion loose that wants to eat you. This is what we're talking about today, Peter. And so, again, as Christians, we can kind of sometimes just forget about the devil and not, and not deal with him in our daily lives and his demons. And what, what Peter's saying is don't get sleepy on the devil. I love how one said it like this. One said this, the devil is never too busy to rock the cradle of a, of a sleeping saint. The devil is not is never too busy to rock the cradle of a sleeping saint. We are in a spiritual battle, and we need to have our heads and our minds on a swivel because we know that he is out there looking to steal, kill, and destroy us. So again, we need to be acutely aware of this. Now, Peter, Peter, now can you imagine Peter when he first got these lines to write down from the Holy Spirit, talking about your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion? Do you think that might have triggered anything in his mind? It would have triggered right before uh, Jesus in the Garden of the Gethsemane where in Luke 22, where it says, where Jesus tells Peter, Simon, Simon, or Peter, Peter, behold, the devil has what? Demanded you. The demanded. Satan wants you, Peter. This is what Jesus said. Behold, Satan has demanded to have you, Peter. And what was Peter's response? Peter got a little bit overconfident, didn't he? He got a little like, oh yeah, I can handle, I can handle that. I mean, I mean, think about that. If you were in your situation, how would you have responded? Well, you'd have been like freaked out a little bit. I probably would have been freaked out a little bit. Like, oh, all right, Jesus, what, what do I need to do? Peter's like, man, I got this. I got this. Peter goes on to say this. This is how Peter responds. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison or death, right? That was Peter's response. Kind of prideful, right? I can handle this on my own. And what Peter is saying is like, hey, we need to be humble. We need to be sober-minded and we need to be alert because we cannot handle the devil on our own. That is the mismatch of the century. Us and the devil on alone. So, how do we, how do we fight the attack of the devil? That takes us to our third point in verse 9. The defense of faith. The defense of faith. Verse 9, resist him. That's how we fight the devil. We resist him. We oppose him. We withstand him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Here's the answer of how we defend ourselves on the attack of the devil. We resist him. 
Standing firm in your faith. James says it like this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 5. Stand against the steams of the devil. When he comes against you or his minions, when they come against you, we don't need to cower in fear. We need to respond by standing firm, resisting the devil. And again, Peter gives us a little idea of what that looks like to resist him. Firm in your faith. And what he's not talking about here, he's not talking about mustered up your own faith and your own belief. What he's saying, the firm in your faith is is stand firm on the Scriptures. Stand firm on the teachings of Christ. Firm in your faith is what the Scriptures teach. That's where we are to stand firm. We are to stand firm, firm in our faith. That's what Resist the enemies of the attack with Scriptures. We see this is exactly how Jesus did it. When he was attacked personally by the devil, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, when he was tempted in the desert, what did he do? Jesus stand firm by what? Or on what? The Scriptures. Three times he used Scriptures. It is written, Deuteronomy chapter 8. It is written, Psalm 91. It is written, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Every time the devil quoted him or came against him, he quoted, he stand firm on the faith. He stand firm on the Scriptures. And that's what we're called to do. This is what Peter is calling us to do. Resist him firm in your faith. This is the one thing that you and I need to do when he attacks us. Stand firm in our faith. Stand firm on the Scriptures. Stand firm on the Bible and say it is written. Just like Jesus. Now here's the thing. If we're going to stand firm, if we're going to resist the devil, if we're going to stand firm on the Scriptures, what does that imply? We got to know the scriptures, right? We got to know the scriptures. That's why a Christian needs to know their Bible. That's why we go through books of the Bible. That's why everything we do is informed by the Bible and God's word, because we want God's word to inform us. Spurgeon said this, the Bible in our memory is better than the Bible on our bookcase. The Bible in our memory is better than the Bible on our bookcase. So when the devil comes against you, we want to know this book. So we can resist him with the scriptures empowered by the Holy Spirit. So when he comes against us, we don't sit there and go like, oh, yeah, what 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 verse was that? Oh, that verse. Um, God helps those who help themselves. That's the verse I want to use against you. Right. Who would use that verse against anyone? Well, no one, because that's not even in the Bible. Right. We want to use verses in the Bible. So we want to know our Bible. So when the attacks of the enemy come against you and me and your family, your business, resist them firm in your faith, firm by the Scriptures. We take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, and we use it. That's how we resist them. Also notice it says you're not alone, that second half. Resist them firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Here's the second thing. Don't have the Elijah syndrome. Don't have the Elijah syndrome thinking that you're the only one going through this trial alone. That no other Christian has ever experienced whatever you're experiencing. No, almost every Christian probably what you're experiencing is is universal. Therefore, don't think that you're fighting this world alone. That's just, again, pride seeping up. Be humble. Resist him. We need one another. Invite others in who also have experienced in the same battle or went through the same battle so they can help you come alongside you and fight the devil alongside you. I mean, we know this, right? We've watched enough uh, Nat Geo shows, enough um, shows on TV about wildlife that we know that, that lions, when they hunt, 
They hunt packs of animals, but what do they always look for? They always look for the weakest or the oldest animal, and then they isolate that animal from the pack. Why? Then they attack. That's their motto. That's how they go about their business. Once they isolate that animal, animal, they pounce on it and they devour it. So what is that? You and I are safer with the herd. You and I are safer together as the church. We need one another. You cannot live the Christian life alone. You will get picked off and you will be get devoured by the enemy. We need each other. You and I both need the herd. We need the body of Christ. We need the church in our lives. I mean, just this past week, it broke my heart. I heard of a, another casualty that Satan took out another believer because he got and their family got isolated. They got isolated and they got devoured. And I quickly reached out to try and get a hold of him and I I'm, I'm pray that he will respond to me. But that's what happens. So that leads us to our fourth point. The reward of humility is God's grace. The reward of humility is God's grace. Again, Peter began his letter with grace and he ends the main teaching section with Peter. He ends it with the grace of God. Look at verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace. Right now, if that's not underlined or highlighted in your Bible, you need to underline, circle it, star it. This needs to be one of those verses that you memorize, that, that you use to resist. The God of all grace. Not some grace, not a little bit of grace, but what? All grace. The God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. We know what grace is. Again, it's like humility. You've been around. We know that grace is God's unmerited, unmerited favor. It's his, it's his free gifts given to us who do not deserve it, yet He still lavishes His love and His grace and His mercy upon us so that we can experience His love to us. We can experience His care. Peter wants his exiles living in this world to be guided by the grace of God. This is what, again, the first book of 1 Peter is all about. I said it's about the gospel. This is what... The, the book is all about. It's about the God of all grace who dispenses grace to everyone. Peter loves grace in this letter. He loves grace in this letter because he's experienced this grace firsthand. And someone that has experienced the grace of God cannot not talk about it. It's written all over his life. Remember that I talked about Luke chapter 22 where Peter first failed the test. He wasn't humble. He was prideful. He says, I got this, Lord. This is what the Lord said to him when, when Peter responded. Listen to what the Lord said. He said, Peter, I am praying for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned again, Jesus, future knowledge, when he's repented and, and, and embraces God's grace, then he says what? He says, then Peter, strengthen the brotherhood. Strengthen the brotherhood. We know Peter's story. He failed. Jesus met with him personally. He repented. Jesus bestowed loving grace on him. Restored Peter. And now he's, what is Peter doing? This is what 1 Peter's all about. 1 Peter's all about strengthening the brotherhood. That's what he's doing right now. So he's, he's fulfilling what Jesus said in Luke chapter 22. He's strengthening the brotherhood. And what Peter wants us to do to be strengthened as Christians is he wants us to stand on the grace of God. I'm just going to rip off all these verses where it talks about the grace of God. And if you have experienced God's grace this morning, 
When I was going through these verses, when I first heard a pastor just rip off these verses, man, my, my heart just leaped with, with joy and thanksgiving. And if you're a believer in here, you know the God of all grace. Your heart, as I rip off these verses, should just overflow with joy and thanksgiving. Again, he began the later letter in 1 Peter 1, verse 2. Grab your Bibles. Let's look together. Let's look at God's Word together as I go through these. Don't just listen. Look at God's Word. May the grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's how, that's, how, that's how Peter starts it out. He wants you to be to have abundance of grace. May it be multiplied to you. Look at 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope. Where does he want your hope to be? Fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at verse uh, chapter 3, verse 7. For spouses, likewise husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are what? heirs with you the grace of life. You want to have a great marriage? Build it on the grace of God. 1 Peter 4.10 As each has received the gift. We want to have a great church? We build it on the grace of God. As each has received the gift, use it to share one another as God's stewards of what? God's varied grace. 1 Peter 5.5 God opposes the proud, but He what? He gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5.10, and after you suffer a little while, the God of all grace. Now look at verse 12. We opened up with verse 12. He says he's written these things to you, what? So that you may stand firm in what? The grace of God. Do you, do you see why this, this is the gospel, why, why Peter stands on this? He wants you, Peter has been celebrating the grace of God throughout the book because it knows it's transformed his life. And he wants us, he wants you and me, to also feel that joy because we also know the experiential knowledge of understanding the transforming power of God's grace in our life. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we repented and trusted in Him, He lavished His love, His mercy, His grace on us. And so when we see, as we see the God of all grace, as we receive Him and we walk Him and we, and by faith, uh, walk um, and follow him we will continue to pour um, we will continue to walk in humility and as we walk in humility we see that he does something he he pours out his grace even to the end he says that he will himself give us restore us confirm us strengthen us and establish ourselves in him so therefore as we look at the rest of our lives on this earth we want to live them to, to glorify god between here, today, and heaven, let every moment be dominated, be informed by the gospel of grace in our lives. May that be the grid in which we are led. And as we're informed by God's grace, let us, to obey it, let us be empowered by the God of all grace. That is our prayer for us this morning. And so, Lord, these are, these are, these are timely words from us for First Peter. Let's, let's take these exhortations, these commands, that we, we first we put on and clothe ourselves with humility. And as we do that, that informs us on that we understand that we don't be overconfident, that we're in a, a, a spiritual battle with the enemy, the devil. But we can overcome them in humility and, and resist him because we understand that we need the Scriptures, God's holy word. But again, all this is built on the foundation of God's grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter since January, I know in my own heart, has done a tremendous work. And Lord, I pray that it's done a tremendous work on our people's lives. And how can it not be? 
How can, how can 1 Peter not transform our lives at, at, at many levels? And I say that because the God of all grace has shown us grace to transform us into Christians of grace. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just extend your love, your mercy, your humility, your grace to all those we come in contact with on a daily basis. In your name we pray. Amen.